Hello, I'm Kyle Willoughby. Joining me is James Foey. Hey! And this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a nerd manual. We are here to discuss new and old nerd creations, how they were made, and explore the roots of the characters and the stories. And real quick, before we get into what we're talking about today, I just want to mention that we live in Queens. We live in New York. New York is constantly being constructed upon. Queens especially is constantly being constructed upon. And you may hear some bangs, beepings, and things coming from outside our studio where uh, MTA workers are attempting to make the NW train a little less lethal. God help them in that cause. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but besides all that, today we are talking about Dragon Ball Z! Yes, we are. Yeah, we are. This is part two of a pairing that started with The Journey to the West, and today we'll be talking about Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and Dragon Ball Super. Dragon Ball originates as the story about Son Goku and his friends as they search for all seven of the magical Dragon Balls, which can grant almost any wish. The show and shows eventually evolve into galactic super fights with the gods. They sure do. They start very small and get very, very large. (laughs) A part of the catalyst for this is that Dragon Ball has a new movie, Dragon Ball Super Broly, which released in Japan in November of last year and released in the United States on January 16th. It's by Akira Toriyama. Yes, and that's who I'm going to be talking about for my production segment, a bit about Toriyama, his previous works, and him quotes from him talking about Dragon Ball and what it was to him and, and... how he did was basing it off Journey to the West. Yes, and I'll be talking about the influence of Journey to the West as we see it across Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and Dragon Ball Super. All right, James, take it away, man. I am excited for this. I'm buckled up. I'm strapped in. Uh, Do your thing. All right, so first off, it's very easy to see in the original Dragon Ball Uh, the immediate influence of Journey to the West. The name of the Monkey King in Journey to the West is Sun Wukong. In Japanese, that's Son Goku. Okay, hey, right (laughs) off the bat. (laughs) Right off the bat, that's the main character. Also, it just said, you know, the monkey king. Son Goku has a monkey tail. He (laughs) also flies on a magic cloud. He has a staff which can uh, grow to almost any length. These are signature items and powers of the monkey king. Now, he is on a journey to help Bulma, a... 16-year-old woman who is attempting to find the Dragon Balls and make a wish. She is a stand-in for the monk, Tripitaka. Or or Tripitaka. I'm not actually sure how to say that, so we'll avoid saying it in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, she's the brains of the operation in a big way, and she's the reason for the journey. He's assisting her, and everyone else is assisting her, much as people assist the monk in Journey to the West. For the character of Jubaji, the pig man who was a slave to his baser impulses, like some of our dearest friends. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, you're very funny. (laughs) Oh, if you could see him. Anyway... Oolong, the pigman in Dragon Ball, the lecherous pigman, is an obvious stand-in for Baji. And Yamcha, the character who begins as a desert bandit who seeks to prey upon our, our heroes, eventually joins the party and assists them, as does the desert monster Sha Wujing in Journey to the West. And this is all in a journey, as I said, to get the Dragon Balls, which can easily be seen as a stand-in for the Uh, divine scrolls that they are attempting to get from Buddha in Journey to the West. And in both of these, it is easier to make this journey when we're good people. And when we get the thing, 
we can only do something with it if we know how to use it. Yeah. Yeah. The divine scripture aren't going to help someone who doesn't know how to receive that enlightenment. And the Dragon Balls can wish for anything. And that could be good, bad, or nothing at all. Yeah. So, one of the first things you're going to notice about Dragon Ball that is the immense influence of Journey to the West is that we have superpowers from Wuxia. Now, for more on what Wuxia is, you can listen to our Into the Badlands episode and what we do about Wuxia there in that history segment. But just real brief, it is a story of martial heroes that is thousands of years old and is born out of chi uh, Chinese Taoist folklore. That's why Dragon Ball Z characters have flight. They have super strength. They can shoot energy beams out of their eyes, their mouths, their hands, and multiple characters can transform into different sizes and shapes, even inanimate objects. The way they can do this is also born out of Wuxia, which Journey to the West is of the genre of, and the reason they can do these things is self-cultivation. It's because they worked on it. And with self-cultivation, you can have anything. And that's a big theme for Dragon Ball in the future. Even when they kind of lose some of the older Journey to the West themes, they really keep self-cultivation going throughout the series. Hard work pays off, baby, with Taoist superpowers. Now, uh, another fun thing that you'll notice immediately about the world of Dragon Ball, if you've never seen it before, also actually ties into self-cultivation granting all things. And that's that you will see animals dressed like people, speaking like people, and holding down important jobs. There like people. <laughs> like people. There are dogs in Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z that are the head of the World Martial Arts Tournament, and there is a dog with a very distinguished mustache who is president of the world. <laughs> <laughs> a very important job for a dog. But that is part of Journey to the West that makes its way into Dragon Ball because part of the religious tradition that Journey to the West explores is that animals that have the nine apertures, the nine openings of the wind into the body, I'll let you count all nine. <laughs> I think all our audience can too. Yeah. Uh, but eyes are two of them. You'll get the rest. Anyway, any creature that has those nine apertures with some self-cultivation can become like a person and from there become a god, can become an immortal. That is open to all of us if we will only try and try in the right way. So now we're going to talk about Dragon Ball Z. A lot of people believe that the Journey to the West influence stops right at Dragon Ball. You can watch videos online that tell you about how Dragon Ball relates to it. But I'm here to tell you that it actually continues on in Dragon Ball Z and into all of Dragon Ball Super. In Dragon Ball Z, like in Journey to the West, we go from learning just from sages to learning from actual immortals. When yeah. we go to the heavens and we train with King Kai, that is like the monkey who trains with an immortal in Journey to the West to get even more powers. Another thing about Dragon Ball Z that's not as apparent in Dragon Ball and that is part of Journey to the West is that heaven and hell are closer than they appear. Yeah. These are things that we can interact with. These are things where the immortals are coming down and going back and forth between the realms of the netherworld and the heavens and our mortal plane. Another thing that is <laughs> fun and silly about Dragon Ball Z that I loved as a kid and didn't realize was from Journey to the West is that when we finally get to heaven, we find out it's a bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bureaucracy. There's a guy sitting at a desk checking off names. <laughs> yes, he is. And he is the king of the netherworld. Yeah. The Hindu and also Buddhist deity, King Yama, who in Hindu depictions is like breathing fire and he's got a mace and he's terrifying and he's judging you on your sins in some traditions. Well, in all of them, he takes the gateway to the netherworld. And very early on in Dragon Ball Z, we get to meet 
King Yama at his desk of judgment, which he sits behind in a suit. <laughs> yeah, he's really big though. Um, and he and he like suffers no no jokes. He's just like ugh. he's just very tired working it. He looks like a clerk because it's like a hard. Tired clerk. <laughs> it's a lot of work he has, and he's got all these papers, and he's got stamps for yeah. sealing things the right way. It's it's a really funny and fun depiction. Yes, and this is like in Journey to the West. There's this thing where if somebody messes with a servant of the divine, right? Yeah. Let's say a dragon king, for instance, is offended <laughs> by the terrible actions of an evil monkey king. Yes. He can't just ask have and have heaven strike that monkey with a bolt of lightning. There's a process. Yeah, yeah. He has to write an angry dragon memorandum <laughs> with his dragon brothers and send it up the chain of command. Oh, something's going to be done about this. Yes. Yes, I will report to you. Yeah, and that makes sense when you think about China also with the really functioning high-level bureaucracy. Yes. You know, you can't just just lightning strike someone. You can't just murder someone. You got to go through the proper channels. Exactly, and that's true for dragons and men. It is. It's true yes. for all people. Yes. So that's King Yama when we get to meet him in heaven. And just talking about the heavens and, and judgment, it's important to mention something that's true in Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z throughout the series and his very journey to the West. And that is, there is redemption for everyone. It is possible for everyone. And when you meet someone who is pure of heart, like Son Goku, you have the opportunity to follow a different path, as they do in Journey to the West, as they are all encountering the monk and the monkey king. Now, in Dragon Ball Z and Journey to the West, this is different from our idea of redemption in a Western, more Christian sense. This is not something where Buddha is going to come and is just going to grant it to you and save you. And on the merit of Buddha, but not yourself, you will be saved. Yeah. This is not like with Jesus Christ. Instead, you can choose that path of redemption, but you will be judged on works of merit. Yeah. That phrase comes up over and over again in Journey to the West. In Dragon Ball Z, there are people who decide they want to be heroes. Right? Yeah. But they have a lot of work to do, a lot of blood and suffering and penance to make up for it. They have to earn it. But it is possible for everyone. And over and over again, the villains of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z all throughout become friends and, and allies. allies. Yeah. And it's not quick. It's not meant to be quick. It takes work and time. And that's why it's time to talk about Vegeta. The king of vegetables. Yes. And prince of all Saiyans. Now, Vegeta is a character who shares the same alien background as Goku and has similar powers. He also has a monkey tail. And people will tell you, oh, Dragon Ball's where the journey to the West thing ends and it, it doesn't take place after that. Not true. There is an argument to be made that Vegeta is more like Sun Wukong even than Goku is. When Vegeta decides he wants the Dragon Balls, it's not... To, to make nice wishes for people. Yeah. It's for immortality. Yeah. And that's the same reason the Monkey King in Journey to the West even begins his journey of self-cultivation. It's because he finds out that good old Taoists and Buddhists and Confucius can become immortals. I mean, that's a real Taoist promise, but in the world of Journey to the West, the monkey learns that and he says, well, I got to get with them. Yeah. I got to train with them. It doesn't start out as a moral cause, but eventually his self-development leads him to that, much as it does for Vegeta. And in Journey to the West and in Dragon Ball Z, the little spoilers implied here, we have characters who sit in judgment before King Yama at the gates of hell, and he demands their soul, and in their might, they defy him. <laughs> 
but really they're just defying a big clerk, so it's yeah, not it a big mean, deal. It's, it, yeah, it, it loses some of its punch <laughs> in the Dragon Ball Z version, but it's still pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to say, as we lead into our Dragon Ball Super, where this is even further explored, the last point that we see in Dragon Ball Z, direct connection thematically to Journey in the West, a uh, Journey to the West, is that as you're fighting and you're training yourself through martial arts and you are refining your key, as it's called in Dragon Ball Z and in Japan, you can gain the ability to ascend your current form. And that part of that is not just your training and your power. It is your purity of heart. That is how you become a Super Saiyan, the ascended form that Goku and other Saiyans can reach. Now, that leads us into Dragon Ball Super. <laughs> there is one major point I want to make about Dragon Ball Super as it ties into Journey, Journey to the West and everything else. Obviously, in Dragon Ball Z, hard work is the name of the game. Self-cultivation pays off in a very Taoist, Confucius, Buddhist way. It's why the Monkey King starts the journey, as we mentioned before. And in Dragon Ball Super, we see the beginning of that Taoist promise being fulfilled, as they seek not just to be Super Saiyans, but to have their key refined to the point that they have the key, the spiritual energy, of a god. Yeah. We have reached a very special moment in this segment. We did not know if in, within 15 minutes I could say everything I just said, and we are now at the part that I have labeled bonus time. You've done it, James. You've <laughs> earned your bonus time. None Happy of, birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. None of this is essential, but I think it's very interesting and helpful to you as you look at Dragon Ball Z in the context of Journey to the West and Journey to the West in the context of other popular culture. So I mentioned Into the Badlands before. That was a show, Hong Kong action on AMC, that people said, oh, yes, we're basing this on Journey to the West. And everyone said, how? Yeah. <laughs> so now we've had a little time with the show, and we've had more time with Journey to the West as a podcast. I can see some of it. Obviously, they named the main character Sunny. Sunny. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. And there's another main character called Baji. Oh, oh I see. see. I see. <laughs> yes. And and he's overweight, and he's a bit of a jerk. Yeah. Right? yeah. But really, over time, we've seen that part of Into the Badlands is pursuing an artifact that will lead to a really nice city, a futuristic-looking city in this post-apocalyptic setting. Yeah. And I think we can see that as a stand-in for a heavenly kind of nirvana. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's of course, not a one-for-one -one comparison with Into the Badlands, and it's not a one-for-one -one comparison in Dragon Ball either. Yes, but just where we see that, yeah. that general framework. In Into the Badlands, there is a big battle to control one's spiritual energy. It yeah. could destroy you, or it could be a tool for you being able to do good. Very Journey to the West, fighting your inner demons, and then the demons outside. Yeah. Right? Also, Into the Badlands features redemption for everyone, but of course, you will have to bleed for it. Yeah, got to work for it. Yeah. The only other one I want to mention, because we only have so much time, is Naruto. That's an anime about a little kid with a fox demon inside him who wants to become the head of his ninja tribe. Yes, very popular anime. Extremely. So we have this kid who looks a little animal-like because he has a literal inner demon that's a fox trapped inside him for the benefit of the village. And that gives him tremendous chakra, yeah. uh, which is the spiritual energy in Naruto. And he has to learn to work in harmony with his inner demon, to be able to better fight those that are outside. Self-cultivation can take you there. Naruto lionizes and adores hard work. Yeah, and he's also very monkey king in the beginning, Naruto especially. 
he's selfish. He's a, but he's also a trickster and and playful. Yeah, he's mischievous. Also, the Monkey King Sun Wukong is literally a character in the world of Naruto. Oh my gosh, you're right. He gets summoned by the third Hokage. He does. That's just him. <laughs> I didn't even. I never made that connection. Yeah. When he fights Orochimaru on the roof. Yeah. Wow. He's just in the show. That's really cool. Yeah. He yeah. had the staff and everything. Yes. And awesome. Eventually in Naruto, people are like in Dragon Ball Z and in Taoist tradition, Wuxia stories and Journey to the West. They are ascending into different forms with their spirit. And just one final word. Rock Lee. Yeah, Rock Lee. If you've ever watched Naruto, that's a self-improvement character. Yep, releasing the gates of his inner chakras, and it's all just about hard work. No special yeah. powers, just self-cultivation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's. I'm glad you mentioned Naruto as well, because just art direction-wise, too, very, very, very hugely influenced by Akira Toriyama, who does did the art in the manga for Dragon Ball Z and is the creator of it. So, and that was something I was going to bring up later. Please um, bring it all up now, Kyle. Okay, so yeah, let me I'm going to talk a bit about the legendary creator Akira Toriyama. Uh, he created Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super, among other things. So, Toriyama was born in 1955 in Japan and he started drawing from a young age, self-cultivation. Yes. <laughs> and he says that everyone in his middle school liked to draw and they would try and copy manga and anime that they loved, but Toriyama looked a little deeper and uh, tried to do more with his art. And more was trying to copy not just anime and manga, but the Disney films that would be shipped over to Japan. Mm. And one of his favorite films, and a, and a film that he used to try and draw frame by frame, was 101 Dalmatians. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He Super copied strange. 101 Dalmatians over and over again. He would, he would copy scenes and draw scenes from 101 Dalmatians as a kid. It was his favorite movie. He said it really... He says it helped put him in a better, like a different uh, a stratosphere as far as drawing compared to his friends because he could draw the manga and stuff that all his friends were drawing in middle school. But he also would go out and try and draw in this more Western Disney style. Oh, that's wonderful. Also, he not he didn't come from a very well-off family, but he loved drawing. And when his family couldn't afford to buy him things, he would just draw whatever he wanted. And like that was him like getting that new bike or whatever. Oh, was, my goodness. Because <laughs> he would just draw it on a piece of paper, and that was good enough for Toriyama. You will have to draw your happiness, son. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Like there's there's a journey there. And it, he certainly turned that, that ability to draw what you want and that skill into something that did make him a lot of money later in his life. So Toriyama's first real job as an adult would be for an advertisement company as an artist. And you'd think that would be perfect, like he would kill it, but he it was terrible. He was terrible at it. He was fired because he couldn't show up to work on time, apparently. Really? And they were critical of the way he drew. They said he couldn't draw a satisfactory straight line for them. Whoa, that sounds like a crippling problem as an artist. <laughs> it does sound like, maybe that's why all the hair is so spiky. Yeah. <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. No straight hair for anyone. No it's my show. No straight hair for anyone. After leaving this advertising job, he entered a manga drawing contest that would award the winner a cash prize. And he would not win that cash prize. <laughs> and he would enter it again. And he would once again not win that cash prize. But in submitting these early manga drawings and entries for this contest, and the contest was for a very popular manga magazine called Shonen Jump, he did meet a very important future business partner. And this is the editor, Kazuhiko Torishima. And Torishima and Toriyama would go on to do almost everything together after this point. 
And Torishima, the editor, he saw the potential in Toriyama's work and he encouraged him, even though Toriyama was submitting these manga drawings and, and not winning, he's like, look, man, I, I think there's something here. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And it did work. Toriyama's first published manga came out in 1978 and it was a one-shot manga. So it was just a single non-continuous story called Wonder Island. And it was about a Japanese World War II pilot who crashes his plane and ends up on this on Wonder Island, which is kind of a bizarre, magical land. And it did not do super well. But Toriyama and Toroshima would continue to make manga together even after that. And manga, for those of you who don't know, it's easily summed up as Japanese comic books. Mm-hmm. But it's also almost always, if not always, the basis for anime. You know, anime, animated shows normally come because a manga, a specific comic book, which is released normally weekly, could be monthly, and issues is get so popular they turn it into a show. It's a nice way to pitch a show, is its success as a yes, manga. Yes, definitely. So Toriyama and Toroshima, they would continue working together, and it was Toroshima who told Akira Toriyama, hey man, why don't you try working on something with a female protagonist? And... Toriyama was reluctant, but he agreed and he made the one-shot manga, once again, not a long serialized thing, just a one-story one manga, Tomato Girl Detective. And the manga was about a girl named Tomato, who was not very bright, but would accidentally goof into solving mysteries. And naming the character Tomato would be a precursor to future character names in Dragon Ball Z, mainly the Saiyans, who are all named after vegetables. Yes. All the Saiyans in Dragon Ball Z have vegetable names. They are from the planet Vegetable. Their king is King Vegetable. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it sounds silly. Well, that's it, because it is. And that's Toriyama's style. And that's what I, like, reading more about him, I, I started to learn even more so than epic fighting and stuff. His real style, especially in those earlier days, was not these big fight sequences or combat. It was more of this slapstick humor and like and pun humor and you see that a lot in at least the early dbz dragon ball in all of its shows never stops being goofy yeah it can be really serious heart-rending serious but it is always goofy it's always goofy and that's what toriyama i think really loves and it's a lot of slapstick humor it's also a lot of like poop humor and and sex like perversion like inappropriate humor we'll have to talk about that in opinions um (laughs) And Toriyama's next work would be what really put him on the map, and that would be Dr. Slump, which was a a manga, and it was a story about an eccentric scientist who creates a young girl robot named RLA and sends her to school on Penguin Island, uh, where young RLA wreaks havoc on the residents. It was yet another slapstick comedy anime filled with pervy sex jokes and puns and poop jokes, but it became immensely popular, and it would sell 35 million copies in Japan, And even though we don't really know that much about it over here, like it never became popular in America, it was huge, huge, huge in Japan and became a social phenomenon. Like everybody knew this manga and which it was also turned into an anime, a show, knew this show. And actually the main character, the robot girl, Arle, is going to show up or maybe has already shown up in Dragon Ball Super, has she? Yeah, Yeah. there's some silly, silly episodes. I'd, I'd be curious to go back and watch some of it. It seemed like a like a pretty silly show, and it's, it'd be cool to see where Toriyama's art style kind of started and his humor, like, see that in more of its earliest forms. And he makes her really powerful. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's part of her wreaking havoc. It's it's all accidental on this little village is because she's a robot. She'll go play baseball and accidentally, you know, like, throw a ball into a guy and it'll fly backward. And, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of silly and fun. But her creator, once again, is like a kind of weird old pervy man. <laughs> Which is, which is something that would also frequent Toriyama's work. 
After Dr. Slump ended in 1984, Toriyama wanted to try something a little different. And this is a quote from him from a translated interview on Kenzenshu.com. So this is Toriyama. I had many meetings with my editor at the time, Torishima-san. As it happened, at that time, I loved Jackie Chan's movies and had seen Drunken Master dozens of times. Since I liked that sort of thing, Torishima-san advised me to try and make a kung fu shonen manga. So I drew a one-shot called Dragon Boy that got an incredibly positive response from the readers. So I decided to go that route for my next serialized work. And since Dr. Slump had been in a Western scenery, I decided to change that impression and make my new work have a Chinese scenery. And if I was going to give it a Chinese feel, I thought I would make the story based on Journey to the West. Journey to the West is, after all, absurd and has adventurous elements. So I guess I decided to make a slightly modernized Journey to the West. I thought it would be easy if that story served as the basis, since all I would have to do would be to arrange things. And this would be the start of his most famous and enduring work, Dragon Ball. Now, Dragon Ball carried over a lot of Toriyama's slapstick and pervy humor. It would also show improvements in his drawings, especially the way he drew monsters. And the amounts of monsters that he would draw would help him in his future character design for villains in Dragon Ball Z. So in the early Dragon Ball, it's it's kind of a monster of the week show. Mm-hmm. It's them traveling, Bulma gets kidnapped, Goku has to save her from this different, you know, Tyrannosaurus or, you know, Goku's got to fight the Ox King. As in Journey to the West, over and yeah. over again, the monk, who's Bulma's character, gets captured and Monkey, and King's, Monkey King's got to go save. And uh, it really helped Toriyama hone and, like, get creative with the monsters especially. And when I'm thinking about some of the best designed characters in DBZ in my mind, I definitely think of the villains. I think of Frieza and I think of Cell, like early form Cell and how weird and creepy they look. I think of Piccolo. And Pic- yeah, that's a, that's a great one, Piccolo. I also should have thought of Piccolo. Now, Goku was obviously based off the Monkey King, which you went in very in-depth about, and he was actually originally in the show supposed to be a physical monkey, just a monkey. Toriyama decided against this, though, because he thought it needed to be a bit, you know, different from the original story. He didn't want to do like a one-for-one retelling. When he says that Goku was the Monkey King, Oolong the Pig was Baji, Yamcha was uh, Shu Wujing, and Bulma was Tripitaka, which we also talked about. Now, those early Dragon Ball arcs, which were largely based on Journey to the West, were not that immensely popular. And it was after talking to Torishima that Toriyama decided to really focus the anime more on fighting and noting that he had had success in Dr. Slump when some sort of tournament event was hosted, he decided to do a martial arts tournament as a main arc in Dragon Ball, and he would do this three times in Dragon Ball. And it comes back in Dragon Ball (laughs) Super. And it comes back in Dragon Ball Super. It totally does. So uh, this proved to be immensely popular. It totally worked. And that was the format that Toriyama would ride uh, to crazy financial success for the next 20 years. And even in Dragon Ball Z, when it's not a, quote, tournament, It's still focused around these one-on-one fights, Mm -hmm. you know. And since Toriyama was writing these stories week to week for years and years, he did eventually start to get bogged down and physically and mentally tired. And this is a quote from him after the Frieza arc in Dragon Ball Z, which is one of the the big main arcs of, of the anime and the manga. The most important in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. So this is Toriyama. Since they had become the strongest in even the universe, they next had to surpass time. So with that, I did time travel stuff, but it was really rough. Time paradox, is it? I quickly got bogged down. I basically only thought of what I was doing for that week. Even I didn't know what was going to happen the next week. I draw the story like this, but I'd always discuss with my editor to see what I should do for next week. And that to me is pretty incredible that Toriyama, he'd been drawing this week to week. This was a weekly 
release, you know, pretty much no breaks for years and years and years and years. And he got to a point after Frieza, which was a huge arc, where he was so tired, he couldn't even plot out a story. He was just kind of drawing what whatever he wanted, what his heart desired, which is crazy to think that the the Cell arc, which happens after Frieza, is also one of the best story arcs in Dragon Ball. And that was something that he was doing, like, physically drained, emotionally tired, and not even sure where it was going to go. Which is crazy. I, I was thinking recently um, that leading up to the Frieza saga, all throughout that, every plot point is a seed is planted much earlier on. Yeah. And then there's this hard break. Where that happens. After the yeah. Frieza saga, where something new starts, and but all the seeds have to be planted right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it all kind of comes crashing into you right away. And you can really see, also watching back on Dragon Ball Z and, and as it progresses, you can really see the art style get sharper and change a lot too, which is cool. You see him like improving as an artist and trying new things. I also think you see him get more money. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> that's true too. So Toriyama's art was very influential, and it's one of the things he did was drawing in the 80s was making his super powerful characters very cartoonish and small. And this bucked that 80s and early 90s cartoon trend of this ultra-masculine, super powerful hero. And you saw that in anime, and you also saw that in, a lot in Western cartoons, things like He-Man, where you just have this, this really, really buff guy. And, uh, you know, he'd fight monsters, but he'd never really be in trouble. And one of the things Toriyama did, more so in Dragon Ball Z, less in Dragon Ball, was that, you know, he had these cartoonish, but very small, but very powerful characters. But he also had villains that weren't these, you know, you were never concerned that He-Man was not going to kill the villain. In Dragon Ball Z, you had villains that were kind of the main focus of these arcs. And you were you were facing these villains who were so powerful that it seemed hopeless that these characters were ever going to be able to defeat them. You're an underdog, and also sometimes you lose. And sometimes you lose hard, yeah. And I, one, of the, one of my favorite things about him, too, and like even when he was getting very tired and his show was kind of being forced to keep going when he didn't want it uh -huh. to keep going, after the Cell arc, there was another arc called uh, the Majin Buu arc. And that was that was his company and Shonen and people who made toys being like, you can't stop this. You can't stop this. We make so much money. You're going to kill an industry if you stop <laughs> if you stop People will making lose their this. jobs. Yeah, people will lose their jobs. People will lose money. So he kept, he kept writing and he kept drawing characters. But the arc after Cell, which is the Majin Buu arc, he was really checked out. And you could tell except for one character who he loved. Can you guess who that character was? Ooh, the character he loves in Majin Buu that he still makes... That he still had fun drawing and writing for. Mr. Satan? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. Yeah. And it's, it's this really comical, slapstick, funny character, like the gags. And he even says towards the end, writing gags was way more fun than writing the fights. Because he'd been, you know, he'd been just fight after fight after fight after fight for years. Uh, by the way, Mr. Satan, called Hercule in the American dubbing, is a martial arts hero slash charlatan. Charlatan, yeah, he's a phony. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he gets he always gets credit for like uh, these big powerful things being defeated. It's it's pretty great. <laughs> so Dragon Ball is the second most popular manga ever sold, and it is hands down the most influential anime and manga in the past thirty years. I I don't think there's any argument against that. And the popular anime and manga of 
One Piece, uh, Naruto, Yu Yu Hakusho, Bleach, Black Cat are all really heavily influenced by Toriyama and DBZ. And One Piece, which is hugely popular, and I didn't realize how popular. I, I mentioned that Dragon Ball is the second most popular selling manga and anime ever. One Piece is number one. Mm. But the main character in One Piece goes so far as to call its main character Monkey, kind of in honor of Toriyama and Journey to the West, but more so Toriyama and Dragon Ball Z. There's Journey to the West in One Piece that I think is in part just because Dragon Ball Z, Z is did in... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now I want to close with a quote from Toriyama talking about Dragon Ball and its crazy success that it's had. He says, Frankly, I don't quite understand why it happened. While the manga was being serialized, the only thing I wanted as I kept drawing was to make Japanese boys happy. And the role of my manga was to be a work of entertainment, the, uh, through and through. I dare say, I don't care even if my works have left nothing behind, as long as they have entertained their readers. And I think that's really nice, you know, that he was focused on just making something entertaining, and he's, like, he doesn't care for accolades, he just wants to make sure that everyone was happy. Now, you mentioned this before, Toriyama has come back to Dragon Ball with Dragon Ball Super, but he's, he's, uh, he's stepped back a little bit from his original role of creating everything, where now he does the overall story outlines, but he lets other people flush out what the story is, the dialogue, but he makes kind of the outline for it. And I think you can see that with a giant universal fight tournament. Yes. You know, it was and, very Toriyama. And also caring more about the gods of the cosmos. Yeah. And that world, that heavenly world that Journey to the West is so about and the Monkey King is so about, instead of the kind of space adventure, the Dragon Ball GT, which he was really not involved with, tried yeah. to take the series in the direction of. Yeah. And we're not talking about Dragon Ball GT on this show. No. Yeah. This is your birthday, James. <laughs> and uh, we, will, we will not have to <laughs> sully it with talk of Dragon Ball GT. Thank you. All right, now for opinions. James, how do Dragon Ball and Journey to the West compare? And why did we link them together? I hope at this point in the podcast, <laughs> it is clear the influence that that story had on Toriyama in his own words. Yes. And as I have described across all of the series in which he had a real shaping hand in. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. Of course, these things are are linked. I question a little bit how closely they're linked, but your segment made me see the themes a little bit clearer there as well. There, one of the things I, I really liked about getting to read Journey to the West finally, as uh, and now granted, just you know, volume one, um, we're in the process of reading Journey to the West, and I'm very excited about it. But even just getting to at least see the Monkey King story arc where he's the center of it. I got to see, oh, there are things I took for granted about the world of Dragon Ball Z that I thought he created, like the talking animals. It was part yeah. of his aesthetic. That no, that's that's, that's also from Journey yeah, to the West. This Journey to the West thing. Yeah, which which is really cool for me as a longtime fan. Yeah. And did it make sense to link these? Of course it did. Now, do you appreciate either or of these works more now that you've read Journey to the West? Do you like Dragon Ball Z more? Yes. I was always ready to love Journey to the West because I knew it was connected to Dragon Ball Z. And I think on last episode, I, c I compared it to meeting the parents of someone you care for. Yeah. You know, and you're yeah. like, oh, that's my God, good... lovely to meet you. Yeah, that's a good you know? comparison. And for me, getting to see it and getting to see all these little connections, even some that I didn't get to bring up in my segment, yeah. was so fun. And also really what it's taught me, which is a really great gift of our podcast, is that I should check out more wuxia stories. 
because that's your thing. <laughs> that's my thing. The kind of story that I like, the, the values of self-cultivation and hard work leading to great, wonderful things and that you have the power inside yourself. It's not Superman because he's from Krypton. Yeah. You know, if Batman were in a wuxia world, he would have so much, many powers. He would have so much power. Yeah. yeah that's true. Because it would, it's a world that values that, that values the effort that you put in and your spiritual life. Things like that that I love so much in all of my stories and uh, are, are so present in Dragon Ball Z yeah. and in Journey to the West, rather. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I think for me, it's interesting because I've been re-watching some DBZ and I, I loved Dragon Ball Z when I was younger. And it's kind of the anime that got me into anime. And I think that's, all, that's the case for a lot of people around our too. age, you yeah. know, late 20s, 30s. The first big anime you saw was Dragon Ball Z. And if you liked it, you fell further down the rabbit hole of Japanese animation. So it'll always hold a special place in my heart for, for that. But when I'm reading about Journey to the West and I'm reading about Dragon Ball Z and its influences, I find myself liking Dragon Ball Z more than when I've gone back to rewatch it. You know, like I, I appreciate it more and I see it more... But I do have a hard time, like, I don't know that I would recommend someone go back and rewatch all of DBZ. I think if you do, you should know if it's your thing. If the, the values that the show has and the themes that the show has appeal to you. If it's okay, I, the, one of the big things I wanted to talk about in the opinion segment is an article that I read last year in 2018 on Kotaku by Gita Jackson. Uh, and that article was Why Black Men Love Dragon Ball Z. The article gets into a lot of things that I love about Dragon Ball Z that I never thought of as a black thing, but it is true that it in black culture, Dragon Ball Z is a very popular thing. And it does relate to Journey to the West, yeah. ideas and values that are there that are wonderfully expressed in Dragon Ball Z, along with the awesome action that it first gets people into it. So a few things that the article catches that are really cool. <laughs> it quotes the RZA, and I'll paraphrase him here, talking about how at the beginning of Dragon Ball Z, Goku finds out that he's from another planet. Yeah. And he finds out that an injury has taken his memory. So we have a character in Dragon Ball Z, the main character is robbed of his heritage and his knowledge of himself. He has superpowers from them, but yeah. he doesn't even realize it. And one day he's going to get so stressed out <laughs> that yeah. he's going to go beyond his limits and he's going to hulk out into an alter ego. Yeah. That's the RZA talking about Goku's journey as an African-American journey. And yeah. Talking about the, the black diaspora and how that can relate to Dragon Ball Z. Even That's really themes of Afrofuturism, which we've yeah. talked about before. The other thing that the, the article talked a lot about where she was interviewing different black men, like her brother who loved it, <laughs> was Dragon Ball processes extreme emotions. People feel things intensely, and it matters. And that's something I want to get more into in, in the, something she didn't talk about as much that is part of how I love it. That and the love of a father and son that you're getting to see. Incredible relationship between Gohan and both Piccolo and Goku, an yeah. adopted father and his biological father. Yeah. You have the spirit bomb. The ultimate weapon is one that is when your friends in your community help you out Yeah. because you can't do it alone. But... That said, the number one thing is your work ethic. Yeah. Um, one of the things the article pointed out was that uh, one of the people she interviewed said, Goku dies, spoiler, early on in Dragon Ball Z, and immediately is training in the afterlife to get stronger. There are no days off. Yeah. And for a people in America that have an understanding that, okay, we have to work twice as hard, yeah. you know, to see characters like that who through their own grit and determination are making it happen, it's inspirational. My further take on it, that she didn't talk about. And thank you so much for your patience. Listen, of course, ramble no, on about no, this. James, this is very interesting. 
was some two things. One that came up talking to someone who I hope is a new friend. Daniel, shout out to you. Maybe we'll get together. <laughs> um, but when I was talking to him about it, he was saying that like, yeah, Dragon Ball Z is a black thing. He's not into it, but of course it is because he said it all has to come from in you. It's all from within. And uh, in the article, they talk about underdogs, but they don't necessarily talk about how, yeah, your spiritual inner life is going to have to see you through this thing. Yeah, You're going to have to make that choice inside you. So shout out to Daniel Eisen for pointing that out to me. The thing that struck me with the article that I wish Gita Jackson had talked about that I thought she missed, even though the article's great, your anger matters. And it has the powerful to be transformative, both of yourself and the world around you and your ability to impact it. Characters in Dragon Ball Z see things that are wrong, that are evil, that are not right. And it can fill them with a rage that is not self-destructive. It is a rage that because they know how to channel it, can shift the world around them, can shatter landscapes yeah. and can defeat villains and change the world for the positive. And to see somebody face adversity that way and to feel those emotions and to have it have consequence. Yeah, that righteous anger. Yes, tangible consequence that changes you and changes the world around you and is for the better. It is so powerful and it's the first thing that drew me to it as a kid. It's the thing I loved about it. I couldn't believe it when a man saw his friend die and used that feeling yeah. to shoot an energy beam from his hand. I was sold immediately yeah. by that. And so I think that also in America, as a black man, you can see a lot of things that make you angry and it could hurt you, it could bring you down, or it could ascend you into another level. Um, so that's not something I looked at as a black thing when I first got into the show, but my goodness, I feel that it, it applies. I think you can even like go back to, and we talked a little bit about this, I believe, in our Luke Cage episode about the kind of cultural zeitgeist of the 70s and how they're called black exploitation films, but a lot of like black films were up and coming and getting popular alongside a lot of kung fu films, mm -hmm. which was another minority in the U.S. that wasn't always respected, and how they a lot of times crossed over, you know, and and combined things. Well, and also it, we've talked about this before, I think, in Bruce Lee's success and how much that brought wuxia storytelling to the United yeah. States. But a lot of black and Latino people looked at a Chinese man able to have that success in America and said, oh my goodness. I could do it. I could do it. Yeah. That could be me. And look at him. Look how masculine and powerful and cool he is. And yeah. we're all watching this together. And he's not white. Yeah. You know? Now, granted, these are Japanese men and Japanese-like aliens. Yes. <laughs> you know? But that connection can still be drawn. It can still resonate. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Now, we were just talking a lot about black men loving Dragon Ball Z, and I think it's important to point out that article is not titled Why Black People Love Dragon Ball Z. Just as you quoted Toriyama, I thought it was really interesting. He said he want, he was writing for young, young, boys, young boys, which yeah. Shonen Jump is specifically a boy magazine. Yeah. You know, that's part of what Shonen can mean. It, it, it means other themes and tropes in anime as well, but originally, traditionally, I think it meant we're boy-focused. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Action and adventure. Uh, yeah, uh, Dragon Ball Z does have a bit of a problem, I think, with sexualization of girls. You see it really early on with Bulma and Dragon Ball in the original, and just some uh, some unsavory things. And it's played for laughs, but it's it's kind of it's kind of gross. Some perverted Bulma, old men yeah. are gross and are real and are a real problem, and it's yeah. not always funny. Yeah. in life, yeah. and it's shown as just oh, ha ha, he's he's awful, but we yeah. just deal with him. He's still okay. But he he's can still okay. be around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you don't want to see any of that, skip episodes with Master Roshi. Yeah, Master Roshi, 
is a problem. And it was for me watching Dragon Ball Super and coming back to this thing that I love after 20 years. It's got a new show. Yeah. Um, it was really hard for me when Master Roshi would come into episodes and I'd be like, oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. We're still a little bit like this. We're still doing this. Because he gets phased out real hard in Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. So you don't have to deal with him. But part of the problem in Dragon Ball Z for women, I think, is that you just, you mostly don't get female characters. There's no women. Yeah, it's very, very rare. Bulma is in Dragon Ball and is one of the main characters. Is Goku's best friend. And she is a super genius. And the things in Dragon Ball throughout the show cannot take place without, without her Bulma. genius. Yeah. In every series, her genius is key to being able to move anything forward. Yeah. But besides that, there aren't a lot of female fighters. No. I mean, there Bulma's not a female fighter. Chi-Chi was a fighter. Chi-Chi has Dragon super Ball. strength and he's that kind of hero, but uh, turns but into just a, a just mom. Just a housewife, yeah. Yelling about getting her son in, in school. Yeah. Uh, and then the next female fighter is Android 18. 18. Who? It's a good fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, badass. that's one, you know, four arcs down you know, hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Oh, they go to a planet where the Namekians are basically, they're unisex, yeah. but they all look like men. Yeah. And they, they don't, like they men. reproduce by just eggs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, from one person, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So th that's the thing. If you're looking for female characters to latch onto as a viewer, you're going to get them far and few between. Yeah. And uh, that was even a thing in, in Broly, the movie, which we saw. And I guess we should talk about that at least a little bit. Uh, what'd you think of Super Broly? I thought it was a fun, rollicking Dragon Ball good time. Um, but I think that has to be your deal. You have to want an extra kind yes. of martial arts battle with key powers. Yeah. And think that we should do that for like 40 some minutes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. My favorite parts of it were the backstory and the Saiyan stuff and Bardock and being on Planet Vegeta. But you're right, and it, it was fun and silly, but for me, it did get a little ridiculous, the fight at the end. Because <laughs> it goes into that place that only Dragon Ball will take a fight. Yeah. And which you can see its influence. If you watch that, it might be too much for you, but there's a lot of anime where it won't be, and they're influenced by Dragon Ball. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, I'm Kyle Willoughby. And I'm James Foey. And we are Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, a Nerd Manual. Feel free to contact us on our website, dsrapodcast.com, and we would love it if you guys could leave us a rating or review on iTunes. You can find the show on Twitter at dsrapodcast, um, and that's where you can find the podcast on all social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, dsrapodcast. I can be found on Twitter at klex303, that's K-L-E-X-303. You can find our usually the host and today the producer, Claire White, at... Along with Claire on Twitter. That's C-L-A-I-R-E, Claire. And Claire, thank you for producing today and engineering. You've done a wonderful job. Better than last time's producer, that's for damn sure. <laughs> She's not a slave to her baser impulses. <laughs> nope, totally isn't. And where can we find our normal producer, but now host for now, James Foey? James? You can find me at James Foey Jr. on Twitter. That's James F-O-U-H-E-Y-J-R. You can learn more about Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super, Akira Toriyama on our Facebook page and Twitter where we're going to post some of the articles and, that we use for our show. Our producer, Claire White, is kind of the Guan Yin of our podcast. She's helping us all find enlightenment every day. Yes, we would be destroyed without her. We totally would. Our logo was done by the wonderful, the powerful, the Super Saiyan, Patty Highland. And our theme was composed by Pete Rowan, who is a slave to his baser <laughs> desires. 
Once again, this is Dragons, Sexy Robots, and Adventures, the Nerd Manual. Thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks when we discuss something that does have women in it. I know a big change of pace for this show. Powerful female powerful, characters. Uh, powerful female characters, Ms. Marvel, and Claire should be back on the show by then, so uh, get excited. 